You've been trying for half an hour to get your little bundle of joy to be a bundle of sleep, but so far nothing's worked. You tried the binky, you tried the blanky, you even made Mr. Fluffy do the Fluffy Wuffy dance. Alas, your tiny miracle has a very large pair of lungs, but you have an Amazon Echo, so you call for backup. Alexa, call mom. Calling mom. And just like that, grandma to the rescue. Hi, baby. Grandma's here. Alexa, thanks. Anytime. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh, my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to a very special show tonight on Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, numerologist, Patricia Kirkman. PK, how are you tonight? Absolutely fabulous. I can't tell you how excited I am about tonight's show. It is going to be exciting, and it's a real heart-wrenching show. But it's one... We have to do. We absolutely Mm -hmm. have to do this show tonight. And I want to introduce everybody, first off, to our guests who are all amazing and talented people who are with us this evening. We have Renee Barnett. Renee is the host of Night Vision Radio, which is another great show on Inception Radio Network. Her show airs Thursday evening at 1030 Eastern. Don't miss it. She's got a great show every week. Renee is also a television and film producer in L.A., and she's an expert on the facts of this case, the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. And it was Renee who brought this to our attention, PK. And you and I know when we heard this case, it just about ripped our hearts out. It is a very, very tragic case. It's devastating to know the facts of it. But what we all knew instantly is that this is about a battle between the light and the darkness. That's what this is about. And we wanted to have this show and shed some light on the paranormal aspects of this, on the Native American medicine involved in this, how things went wrong. And, of course, our hearts go out still to the families who lost their beautiful little girls in this this horrible, horrible murder. And we also have Michael Bastine, who is an Algonquin Native American medicine man. Michael is an, he was an apprentice to Mad Bear Anderson, a Tuscarora medicine man, one of the most unusual and well-known medicine men. He really was known globally. And Michael was his apprentice, and Michael's with us tonight. We also have world-renowned psychic medium George Lugo. Now, George has worked with a number of investigators, including Scotland Yard. And we all know George. He's uh, extremely talented, very detailed. 
in his readings and his communication with the other side, he is going to be speaking to the other side tonight about what happened in Oklahoma that night in 1977. So, Renee, welcome to the show. Let's start with you. I know you have all the facts on this case, and you know all of the paranormal intrigue that occurred. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened and how the paranormal played into this? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me, and and hi, everyone. Um, I don't know that I would call myself an expert on the case, but I guess I do know uh, as much about it as as a lo- as probably very few people, few other people do, besides the people that were involved in the case, because it's been sort of a an obsession of mine ever since it happened. I heard about it that night after the little girls were discovered on the car radio as I was driving cross country, leaving my home in Oklahoma to come to Los Angeles. And uh, of course, what what happened was three little Girl Scouts were murdered on the first night of their encampment at uh, a Girl Scout camp known as Camp Scott on Grand Lake in uh, eastern Oklahoma. it was really interesting. I don't know how many people heard my show last week, which was rebroadcast just before this show, but it kind of laid out more of the facts of the case last week and then prior to the show. But just briefly, uh, the the major suspect ultimately turned out to be uh, a man by the name of Gene Leroy Hart, who was also uh, happened to be a Cherokee Indian. He was a local football hero and, you know, a strapping uh, young man. So nobody kind of wanted to believe that someone like that, especially the Cherokee people, didn't want to believe one of their own uh, could have committed this crime. And so he was able to evade law enforcement for a long time. It became the biggest manhunt in Oklahoma history and was only ultimately were able to track him and bring him in once the uh, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation agents uh, sort of returned their own native heritage. Uh, they even uh, acquired the help of their own medicine man, who gave them medicine to uh, for them to wear for protection for themselves, to put on their bullets, and to put on the track. And we can go into more of that later. But basically, uh, it was a controversial case. Uh, Gene Hart was said to have had the help of a powerful medicine man, and he was ultimately acquitted by a jury and to the shock of of, of many people. Later, DNA confirmed, uh, because this case happened in 1977, there was no right. DNA, but later right. DNA did confirm uh, that it was consistent with his uh his DNA and also now, the sperm was was uh, unusual, so they were able to connect him to the crime scene by physical evidence and by um, DNA evidence. Now, also, wasn't he an escapee from prison? Wasn't he? <gasps> yeah, that was that was uh, the other thing. He was already uh, a convict. He was escaped from McAllister, or I'm sorry, Granite Prison, as I was corrected the other night, prison in Granite, Oklahoma. Uh, where he was serving 144 years for raping uh, and kidnapping two teenaged pregnant girls from Tulsa. And uh, he had taken them out in the woods. 
some of the same evidence matched the evidence at the Girl Scout camp. The same types of knots were tied. The same exact. He used the same M.O. all the way around and actually tried to bury these girls, but it was in the wintertime, and the ground was too hard for him to get very far. He partially buried them. Thank God. Yes, left them tied in the woods and was going to come back later. And I, I don't doubt at all uh, that he was going to come back and attack them again and then kill them. But uh, somehow one of them managed to get free. They escaped and he was actually brought to trial and convicted of that crime. So to me, it wasn't that big of a stretch uh, that he could be guilty of this crime, which was very similar. And, of course, a lot of times, you know, as we know, uh, serial rapists will, you know, initially just start out uh, with the physical attack and the violation and the rape. But then if they get convicted, the next time they do it, they don't leave witnesses. So I think, you know, and also uh, killers' crimes escalate. So I think that may have been what was going on, but, but that was it. But the what ensued were and the para, paranormal aspects of everything that went on um, was just amazing. And I don't know how you now, want before, me to get into that. Before you do, I'm going to just take a take a break for a second from all of this information, which is is very important for our listeners to know and understand. I'm going to move over to PK, and PK, I want oh you to talk about what you found, because what PK did is she took a look at this man's numerology and his birth date. Who was he? So from that perspective, PK, tell us a little bit about what you found. I thought it was fascinating. I know Renee wants to hear this. Oh, so my gosh. All... I'm taking notes right now. I've got my okay. pencil and paper. <laughs> I've taken notes for you, too, Renee. I'll tell you. All right. This is interesting. The, the fact is, this young man was born in to have issues with females. So it started with his mother. He couldn't get over that. He had a destiny that was a 19-1, which means that he, he felt abandoned and alone clear up until his early 20s. So he felt unable to connect with anything. He had very low self-esteem. He was not a rule maker. He found rules absolutely horrible to have to deal with. Yet any change he ever made was restricted. He was extremely intelligent, but very fearful of the light and the dark. This is a man that had the boogeyman carrying with him most of his life. But I found it very interesting when I'm looking at all this is that he, when he passed away, it was a 27-9 day, a nine ends things, ending of old issues in a month that would have dealt with a heart problem for him, which is exactly what happened. The date that he was, uh, when this event took place, in 1977, it was a 24-6. Six is all about family and universe and wanting things to be perfect. And it was a nine uh, achievement. So the way of making it work and put together was very difficult. It was dealing with endings and unable to pull things together. He died on a universal eight year. We are in a universal eight year again. Today is a oh, universal, and it's it's a universal eight day. Oh. So uh, it's a combination of things dealing with the female side, the family side, and the wanting of being perfect, and his feelings of inadequacy. I would 
I would probably have to say that he tended to go from impotency to way off the other side. Mm-hmm. That's why he, this was so much a draw for him. Well, a lot uh, of that Patricia, is consistent. Also, I'm sorry. You also said something about uh, he had no conscience. Is well, that, that's, that's something else on the numbers. Well, that's why I said uh, taking a look at it. His, he was extremely intelligent, but very yeah. fearful of what he knew. He did. He truly believed there was a boogeyman or a, a, a somebody bigger than he that would take away his powers. He tried to be powerful, but his low self-esteem created such major issues for him. Then the inter, the intimacy or lack thereof with women gave him that need to be um, more in charge to control them, and the only way he could control them was to take away their dignity by rape. Wow, yeah, that that is fairly consistent with what I know. I don't know everything about his personal life, but I do know that he had an absentee father, so that right away, right. you know, brings in some abandonment issues. Definitely. Uh, he lived with his mother, who lived nearby Camp Scott. In fact, you know, that was one of the reasons that he initially became a suspect, because uh, his mother lived so nearby. I don't know what his relationship like was was like with her. I know that uh, he was estranged from his wife and that he had also molested his own child mm-hmm. uh, and I think attacked his own wife. So I know that at least, be, you know, due to the molestation that they split up and it might have also been attacks on her as well. But it, it seems like also just generally that when you find guys that are, are child molesters mm-hmm. doesn't that sort of suggest an inadequacy with normal well, women or fear of rejection they want someone that they can overpower and feel bigger than and definitely and in his case because he was very much a rule breaker and felt such low self-esteem for himself eights and fours when throughout numbers are always karmic they have a karmic impact and as i said earlier it was an eight universal year and when we're going through all this and the girls were in tent eight yes that's right they sure were yeah so everything to do with the eights the year that it was in what was going on within him uh very much a uh, pervert. I mean, that's the nicest way I can put it. Because And also, Patricia, it's so interesting that here we are again with an eight and we are talking about this case. Exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of coming to another full circle here. It has. And you've done a great job looking at this guy. I can certainly see from Renee what you shared and PK what you shared. This looks like the man who did it, even though he was not, he was found not guilty, which is unbelievable to so many. But, you know, I have to share with you all, I had a phone call today from a dear friend of mine. I hadn't heard from her in a long time. Name was Kelly. And Kelly said, I had to call you because I saw your post about the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. She said, I was a Girl Scout then. And I remember that case, and I was scared to death. I didn't want to go to camp. My mother made me go. But she said, this case, this, these murders just shook me to my core. She said, when I saw the post, I felt the same way I did back then. You know, there's something about mm. this case and this experience that intuitive, sensitive people know there is so much more to this 
from the dark side of magic, from Mm -hmm. these demonic beings that he called forth, which we're going to get into that with Michael Bastine and with George Lugo tonight. This is what continues to scare people to this day. There was a very powerful phone call from Kelly, and I really appreciate that she called. I know she's not alone in her feelings about this case. You know, when we take a look at how intelligent the young man was, but what is intelligence? It's a borderline between reality and insanity. Mm. Yeah, he was and I been very that, well well read and uh, listened to classical music and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So yeah, you're you're right about that. And that he was able to somehow convince a medicine man to train him and work with him. So that somewhere a, a medicine man must have felt he had some ability, which is unfortunate because it brought him to a whole new level of of power. Well, the medicine man believed him, you know, believed that he was being railroaded in both cases. So he he helped him. But unfortunately, I think Gene Hart misused those powers. But, you know, we'll get into what happened later on. But you can't use misuse the powers. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh Not a good thing. Well, and I also want to just, you know, at least honor these girls' memories. It was uh, their names. Lori Lee Farmer, who was eight. Michelle Gousse, am I saying that correctly? Renee, yes. mm-hmm. who was nine. And Doris Denise Mitchell, who was 10. That's actually, actually her last name was Milner. I saw that same typo on some website, but her name was mm-hmm. Denise Milner. Milner. Doris, Doris Denise Milner. Thank you. Milner. And then, you know, you know, her little sister was the one that had a premonition about all this. Yeah, let's now talk about that, Renee, because you know all of the paranormal things that happened. So do you want to share that with us? What happened during this case? It's so many twists and turns to this thing. Well, I mean, to me, and, and PK, you may have something to, to say about this, uh, about the sort of numerology of it. I don't know, but it just seems so odd. You know, they all arrived at camp on buses. Most of them were from metropolitan Tulsa area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, once they got there, they ate and, uh, they were getting ready to, you know, get to their, their tents. The, the camp was set up with these, uh, wooden floors that were there all year long. And they were quite up off the ground, and then the tents were on top of the floor, so they were on like little foundations. Uh, the girls were allowed to pick their own tent mates, and of course, most of the girls chose their girlfriends that they had come with and had made plans to come with, uh, and so they all chose up, and there were four girls to each tent, and once the choosing was all done, there were three little girls that were left over, mm-hmm. and that was... Uh, Denise, Lori, uh, and Michelle. They didn't know each other at all. And uh, Denise had really not wanted to go. And she begged her mother, oh, please, please, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And her mom says, well, listen, just go. I think you'll have a good time once you're there. And once you get there, if you still don't want to be there, call me. And I'll come and pick you up. I think it's only about an hour drive from Tulsa. And so she asked the counselor, she said, oh, I want to call my mom. And the counselor said, uh, I tell you what, uh, let's have dinner, go to our cabins, write letters to our parents. And if you still want to call her in the morning, uh, you know, I'll let you call her. Well, of course, uh, Denise uh, nor the other two girls made it. 
alive uh, to the next morning. But it was interesting. Denise Milner's, Milner's mother tells a story about uh, Denise's little five-year-old sister, Kathy, who that very evening came up to her mom and said, Mom, why do people die? And the mother said, well, you know, uh, that's the cycle of life. You know, people are dying all the time, but babies are being born all the time. That's the way, you know, that it works. And the little girl said, well, tonight everybody's going to die. And My I thought goodness. that was quite strange. Yeah. Very anyway. much so. I think that, that was kind of a shadow of things to come in terms of yeah. the, these uh, these energies were already bleeding through. And here this little five-year-old girl was picking up on the tragedy about to befall their family. I mean, it is, is a good example of how powerful these energies were and how they were already in place even before the event. Yeah, absolutely. But it was, um, you know, there was the, all the... Uh, it was being reported in the newspapers, you know, the activities of the medicine men, the idea that Jane, that uh, Gene Hart was a shapeshifter, and that's how he was able to evade the uh, the agents for so long. It, you know, it, I think the manhunt was something like three years, and it was the big, you know, biggest manhunt in Oklahoma history. And they had, you know, helicopters and se several different law enforcement agencies, volunteers. Uh, these but amazing this, this tracking dogs. Going to, to stomp dances, being seen in public everywhere. Yeah. And yet the investigators would get there and he would disappear into thin air. They couldn't find him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that was he was he would go right into town. You know, they would he'd be seen on the streets of Locust Grove. But no one would say anything. It was it was really wild how he was able just to move about freely. And then uh, he was moving about a lot at night, and they thought, you know, that he was burglarizing places, which I believe they subsequently proved that he was. In fact, he had been to the camp uh, a couple of days before, and they found a rip in one of the tents um, when they arrived. So it was like he was getting ready to, you know, break in there. He knew the Girl Scouts were going to arrive, and uh, so he was already making a way to get inside one of the tents but they found it on arrival and they they fixed it somebody stitched it up before that night so it became um, tent number eight there was a couple of tents that got broken into that night things stolen a pair of glasses different things oh, uh, the the, oh. the pair of women's glasses which of course he was subsequently seemed to have on his face when he was arrested. He was wearing that pair of women's glasses that he stole that night. Oh, my goodness, how bold. Now, you, talk, um, you talked on your show a little bit about Harvey Pratt and how he turned this case around by smoking himself at the water's edge. And when you say smoking himself, what we know to be smudging, right. was what he calls smoking himself. And so can you tell us what happened? Because they were really having a hard time get anywhere on this case until Harvey did this. They they had found a cave nearby that had a, a lot of evidence. They were able to tie the cave to the crime scene. So they knew that whoever had been in that cave uh, was the murderer or was involved in the murder. And so they were trying to figure out who it was and they couldn't figure out who it was that had been staying in that cave. Well, they had set up a a camp, you know, out in the 
out in the woods, a mobile uh, a mobile headquarters for the OSBI. And they were all down there one evening and they were working and talking and they looked up and they noticed that Harvey uh, was gone and they saw him down by the down by the water. So a couple of them walked down there and uh, Harvey was burning cedar branches, which is, you know, what uh, a lot of the uh, native tribes burn uh, in Oklahoma area. I know a lot of people do sage, mm -hmm. uh, but cedar is very, very common and very, very revered uh, in that area. And in fact, my mom still, you know, sends me a bundle of cedar branches sometimes in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyhow, he was down there and he was, you know, putting the smoke on himself, and they came down and said, you know, what are you doing? And he says, well, I will tell you, but you better not laugh. You know, I'm, this is very serious to me. And they said, no, uh, we won't laugh. And he says, well, I'm, I'm purifying myself. I'm cleansing myself so that I will be worthy to, you know, go on this hunt so that I'll do the right thing in helping these families that have lost these little girls. And he said, do you want me to, to smoke you as well? And they said, yes. So he smoked the other two agents. And then he says, now we're going to send this smoke out. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to go out and it's going to fall on someone who's going to be able to help us, who's going to be able to help us identify who this monster is. It wasn't but just a few minutes. And the phone rang back at the mobile campsite. They ran up and answered it. And it was a photographer who had identified a picture that was published in the Tulsa paper, a picture that they had found in the cave, and it looked like a wedding party. And so they finally published it in the paper and said, does anybody know who these people are? The photographer calls and says, well, I know who that is. That's a wedding. I took the pictures. As it turns out, that photographer was also teaching a photography class at Granite Prison. And Gene Hart was the one who had developed that role of film. And they believe that Gene Hart stole that picture because the woman in it looked just like his estranged wife. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just an incredible, heartfelt experience that Harvey Pratt took on by doing the smoke, inviting his fellow investigators. They agreed to come in with him. And then from with all their heart, that smoke went out and they were able to turn the case around because from everything you've told me, Renee, and from what I've seen in the documentary and from the book, this case was going nowhere fast. And these investigators were scared, too. This was a frightening experience to have this guy be so elusive, to have so many people in the community be on his side, and to know that there was strong medicine behind him. That yes. is a scary thing for all of those investigators and all the people and the families involved in this case. But thank goodness that, that Harvey saw a way through this to use good medicine to really oh, yeah. send that out. So he really did a, the right thing. And then there's, there's other things, too. Talk about those dogs. We had highly oh, that trained was crazy. tracking dogs. And these, yeah, tell us absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They had brought in some tracking dogs, some world-famous, you know, tracking dogs from Pennsylvania that were supposed to be highly trained and all this. And they brought them out. And, I mean, almost instant, there was uh, almost instantly one of them just broke loose and ran right out in the middle of the highway and was hit by a truck and killed. 
Oh, it's crazy. And the second one died like a couple days later of heat, heat exhaustion. And, but uh, I understand that, you know, there's a story that was told in the book, and I don't know if the agents witnessed this or not, but someone said that there was a medicine man there when they brought the dogs out and that he was just standing off and he was staring, you know, at the dogs. So uh, they, I don't know who that medicine man was, but if it was him staring at the dogs and he was trying to do something with them, then obviously it was someone that was working on the suspect's behalf. And but it was when it was only when they went to visit their own medicine man that he told them, you know, they said we're seeking someone who murdered these girls, and you know, and he you know, looked into it, you know, metaphysically or psychically. And he said, you know, the man you're seeking uh, has the help of a powerful medicine man. Oh and the, these guys said, well, wait a minute. I thought you couldn't misuse the medicine man's power for evil purposes. He said, you can. And Michael will be able to tell us more about this. I'm, I'm sure I'm really hoping uh, you can use the medicine man's power for evil purposes. If the medicine man believes you and believes that he's doing good. But if you misuse the medicine man's power, look out. It's going to get you. That's right. Exactly right. Oh, my goodness. So we've got so much more to share. And if you have a question you want to talk to us tonight, please call in at 888-919-2355. Again, that's 888-919-2355. Or you can join us in the chat room. We are having a very special show this evening. We are talking with Renee Barnett. We'll be talking with Michael Bastine and George Lugo. And, of course, my very wonderful host, PK, about the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders and all of the paranormal stories, effects, and events that went around this case. Hey, guys, if you don't know that the light and the dark are at war and this is for real, this case will convince you. That it really is. So stay tuned, everyone. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. You're listening to IRN. The Inception Radio Network, Chicago, Illinois. You didn't forget what's coming up tonight, did you? Hi, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Never miss that interview you were looking forward to or the show on your favorite topic. Follow IRN on Twitter, I underscore R underscore N, and get reminders about the evening's live shows as well as fun and important updates throughout the week. That's I underscore R underscore N, and never miss a great show again. Hi, can you hear my voice? Imagine how many other people can hear it too. If you have advertising needs, then look no further. The Inception Radio Network currently has openings for on-air advertisements and radio show sponsorships. Given any thought to your target demographic? Inception has you covered there, too. Advertising on a network gives you multiple opportunities to advertise on a wide variety of radio show broadcasts, and we have one to fit every advertising need. You know, in recent years, Internet radio has exhibited a phenomenal listener growth. 
and Arbitron Edison survey shows that online radio boosts at least 33 million unique visitors each week and 54 million each month. And that number amazingly continues to grow. And these listeners are a part of many businesses' core demographics. And surveys have shown that Internet radio listeners are far more likely than regular radio listeners to spend money on a whole range of activities. You know, Internet listeners vote, they dine out and eat fast food, and they grab a cup of coffee. And here's the interesting one. They buy items online at a much higher rate than all other market segments combined. Internet radio also enables businesses to connect with consumers during work hours, where increasingly more lifestyle decisions are being made. Advertise with the best. The Inception Radio Network offers competitive advertising rates to fit just about anyone's advertising budget. Stop by today at www.inceptionradionetwork.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-919-2355. Get the word out. Get results with the Inception Radio Network. Are you a fan of Inception Radio Network? Do you reckon it's the best alternative talk radio station on the planet? Well, if you do, head to facebook.com forward slash Inception Radio Network and like the page. Tell your friends, spread the word, and keep listening to the best. Hello, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Remember, you can take your Inception Radio shows on the go. Just download the Inception Radio Network app for your iPhone, iPad, or Android smartphones and access live shows, past shows, guest lineups, and much more. Just visit the iTunes Store or the Google Play Marketplace and download it today for free. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, PK, and very, very special guests, Renee Barnett, Michael Bastine, and George Lugo. We are talking about the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders from the side of the paranormal. We are talking about the paranormal events that surrounded this case and made it so very puzzling to all of us. This is a case of evil versus good. And that's the way we're talking about this tonight. This is not about religion. This is not about ethnicity. This isn't about color. It's about none of those things. 
It's about the light versus the darkness. And if you didn't believe that the light and the dark have their battles, then you will after tonight's show. So, Renee, let's go back to what you were sharing. Uh, Let's see if we can wrap up this part of the paranormal experiences. There there was a time when a big cat jumped into Harvey's lap. What was that about? (laughs) Well, um, Harvey, who is... To this day, uh, an OSBI agent uh, is also Cheyenne Arapaho Sioux Indian. And uh, he is, as you mentioned earlier, he was brought up in the old ways and, and practiced those. And uh, they had, you know, tried everything. They went to see their medicine man and were given medicine to uh, wear around their necks. And there was medicine to make them invisible. Uh, the medicine man said, walk far apart, and if you, if you can get him between you, he won't be able to see you. Uh, he gave them medicine to put on their bullets so that they would only go to the guilty person. And he gave them medicine to put on the trail so that if they pick up his track, they won't lose it if they put the medicine down at the start of where they, they found it. And so they decided to go out, and Harvey and his brother Tony, who was a— another police officer from another agency who just decided to go and help Harvey out. They decided just to go camp out at night in the woods. And as Harvey said to me, just, you know, two Indians out in the woods, you know, hunting or doing whatever. And so they were out in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, those woods can be remote in Oklahoma. And, uh, they were sitting there by the fire. They had made a fire and Harvey said it wasn't even a, a cold night. They didn't have it for the warmth. They just had it more just for the comfort of sitting by the fire. It made them feel more comfortable because it, sure, it was quite spooky out there. Yeah. And they were sitting there and they were taking turns and uh, staying awake, being on watch. And I guess it was Harvey's turn and I think he just nodded off. And suddenly this cat jumps out of the darkness from nowhere right into his lap. And then it jumps off. He's flinging it off, and it's screeching, and he's throwing it off, you know, and uh, at the same time. And, of course, it led them to think, well, wait a minute, you know, they say Gene Hart's a shapeshifter. You know, could that have been Gene Hart or someone else that was, you know, working on his behalf or some other dark force, you know, turning into an animal? So that was pretty scary. Uh, There was— Let me ask you about this, too, because, again, we have all these dark forces in play, and certainly they spooked the investigators. They were scared. I even heard them on your show. They still sounded scared as they were talking about all of this. So we have these dark forces working to obfuscate everything, to make people think that he's innocent when he's truly guilty, to make sure that he can come and go as he pleases, even though he's an escapee and he's already been convicted of these other crimes. He's walking around free as a bird. And the dogs died. And this supposedly there was a Native American medicine man who may have had a hand in that. It's terrible. And then we have a Native American medicine man who is helping the investigators. Now, he did a rare ritual. Tell us about that. Oh, wow. That was really interesting. Uh, Well, according to this medicine man, whose real name I, to this day, do not know. I tried to wrench it out of Harvey, but of course, he he rightly did not divulge the name. Uh, But 
anyway, uh, he's in the documentary that uh, one of the agents made after after the trial. I just should quickly mention that when Gene Hart was acquitted, the agency, the OSBI, was so downtrodden and so disheartened by this case because they had all this evidence. They were all, and to this day, are absolutely sure they had the right guy. Uh, but he was acquitted anyway. I think there was something like, and I might be wrong about these numbers, but it's close to this. There was something like 36 uh, agents on the Bureau at the time, and I believe 30 of them quit as a result of that trial, as well as the district attorney, who was the biggest legendary uh, prosecutor in Oklahoma history. That was the very last case he ever tried, and it's the only one he ever lost. Um, it was a big, it was a really big deal. Yeah, so, and, uh, and so horrible that this guy was acquitted. I mean, I can see why they would turn their badges in. What's the point of all this? Yeah, it's that's the way like they felt. Hart walk away. Most of them left law enforcement altogether. Uh, Harvey was the one that stayed and, you know, continues to to work to try to help the people of Oklahoma with their uh, crime problems. But uh, the other guys went on to do other businesses. Uh, one of the authors of the book uh, went on to become an Oklahoma state senator for many years. Uh, so these guys were, you know, sharp guys. And, and anyway, when they went to see their own medicine man, he explained to them that there was a ceremony that he said, and I'm hoping that, that Michael Bastine will be able to tell me about this, if he knows about this particular thing. But they said there's this old tobacco grown in a primeval forest, and there's just very tiny bits of it left. They call it the ancient one. And... According to this this elder, he said that a medicine man can live his whole life and go through all these ceremonies and never, ever use the ancient one because it's so rare and it's so important. So it's only used in very, very dire circumstances. And this medicine man felt that this case was important enough to uh, use this ceremony. I don't know what it's comprised of. He would only share that it involved moving water. And uh, and the and the ancient tobacco. So he performed this ceremony, and he said basically the ceremony says the ancient one says that whoever killed these little girls, be it Jean Hart or someone else, stands on the blood of these children, and they will die. And that's what the ceremony was of the ancient one. Wow! And then he after he was acquitted. He was jogging around the prison yard. Well, yeah, he had to go back to prison because he was he still had to go back and serve his 144 years for the rape and kidnapping of the two Tulsa girls. And, uh, yeah, it was a month later. He was jogging around the prison yard, and he simply dropped dead. At 26 of a heart attack. So yeah. I would say the ancient one worked. Yep. Is it right? Excuse or, me. I just sure, want to say, ahead. isn't it ironic that the 26 is also an eight? Yes. The day of his age? Yes. Yes, that's yes. right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But, yes, it might have been the ancient one, or it might have been the misuse of the power of his own medicine man, or it could have been those things together. He just 
it was too much and you know it the power went back on him basically the medicine man's power if you misuse it harvey said that it'll come back on you well that makes sense renee and that's a perfect introduction here for our next guest who is michael bastine michael is an algonquin medicine man and as i mentioned previously he was an apprentice to the tuscarora medicine man mad bear anderson so michael welcome to the show Thank you, Thank you, Patricia. It's an honor to be here. And uh, it's very interesting and, and very accurate about the things that are being uh, depicted from that time period and the things that are being brought together and see how we can merge all of these things. And I, I thank you for the compliment of calling me a medicine man, but I'm nowhere near um, the age where you can accept a title like that and even I'm not sure if I will ever reach that point where I can accept that title but I'm certainly working on trying to find out and work with these elements and as I have spoken to you off air that things keep being revealed to me as I go through time and that tells me that I'm staying on the correct path and using these teachings in the highest way for the, the best of all life. And that's why we wanted you on the show, Michael, because we know your integrity. I mean, you're just one of the most integritous people we know, and you do walk the path of light. And again, hearing this whole experience, obviously there was a big abuse of Native American medicine. And, and I know even when we've talked previously, you talked how about how people had come after Mad Bear with bad, uh, bad medicine and witchcraft. It's laundry day. And even though you know there are no zombies in your basement, because you're an adult and zombies are not real, you still can't bring yourself to turn the light off before you go up the stairs due to the creepy hand that will not grab your ankle because, again, zombies are not real. Plus, you have an Amazon Echo, so you wait till you get safely to the top of the stairs and say, Alexa, turn off the basement light. And the basement light goes off, and you continue upstairs alive. Alexa, lock the door. Okay. Thank you. And he had his ways of dealing with that. But this case is, has so many twists and turns, as I mentioned, and so, so much heartache to it. What do, you, what do you feel about this? What is your thought on, on this case and what happened? Well, I think this is one of the best examples to teach from and for people to understand that if you become a practitioner and you claim you're doing the work of the Creator, the things that you seem to get involved with don't prove out or say exactly those words, then there is no immunity to the people who are participating and using or misusing the sacred elements that have been handed down and taught. So this is why it is really crucial, and I think so far have done an excellent job of presenting the evidence and showing the interaction and how someone can use these elements to evade or to, in one sense, there are things that can be done to muddy up or cloud that situation so it makes it more difficult to try to get through to find who is at the source. You may not find the exact 
teacher who was giving this information to someone who they hadn't screened enough. And that's why I said uh, I took almost three years of me almost living with Mad Bear before you gain that not only trust, it's more than trust. It's, it's demonstrating that you will not deviate. You won't allow emotion. You won't allow other human um, elements to come in to, to play a part of how you're going to learn and then demonstrate how you're going to use these things. And there were a few incidents early on where Mad Bear, I would be reluctant to do something and he would do the encouragement and say, it's okay, you go ahead and you know how to do it. He would actually instruct me to do things. And that's the part where when you hear that instruction or you hear someone give you that confidence that says, without using the words, they're saying, you're ready. We, he wanted to see it demonstrated. He wanted to see me actually go and do the task or the action of getting involved with these things. So these are crucial for the the teacher or the mentor to observe because you're going to see a response after you do the task. And if the, the response is not humility or one that is uh, accepting on a very humble level, then you would be very uh, cautious to say, uh, I think maybe this may not be someone who we should go any further with. Exactly. And it sounds like, I mean, from looking at all of this and all of the events that took place, whoever the medicine man was that apprenticed Jean Leroy Hart did not screen him thoroughly. And really taught him some powerful things that Gene then used for evil. And then when we see it demonstrated and we see that it is being used for the the wrong intent, uh, with all the other factors in this uh, case, you see that it comes out to have, there's, there's an equation. And that equation is you start using, even if they would have, started uh, using numerology back in that time, I believe with the right people, they could have found him much sooner and they could have prevented that from uh, this this event from happening. But because of the fact that they didn't access the help on the medicine level soon enough and they waited till this last event to occur, that when I was looking into this from... This other perspective, which is not uh, using the videos, it's not using anything from um, other human accounts, that's when I, I did make an offering with, and we do have and use what has been referred to um, earlier in the program, the sacred tobacco. It's just used for ceremony. It's not used for anything else. And when I made that offering, these things started to be revealed that it could have been prevented if if they could have accessed that uh, medicine man earlier that helped the law enforcement to uh, not only protect themselves, because that's the part that 
I observed from Mad Bear is he was very cautious about not letting his guard down. And he knew if he was going to venture into these areas, he had to have the assistance of other people with him. Even if we didn't know the purpose of what he was doing, it's what Mad Bear would say is the goodness in you and the goodness in you and the goodness in you. He would have people just present that would be willing just to be there. And just having that available to him, it gave him the ability to go beyond what he could do on his own. He just needed the collective, and it didn't have to be a large number, just a few that would be willing to participate, and they actually were able, and I, I inadvertently, I mean, I was a part of that, but I found out many years later what Mad Bear was doing, and he was trying to reveal or have someone reveal that who they were. It was someone who was doing some behind-the-scenes work to really create some havoc with the elders and he identified the individual and it was because of the ceremony that I happened to be a part of with a few other people but we I didn't make those connections until maybe 20 years later so you start to see that it has to be done in the proper context. And he knew he was venturing into a very dangerous and, and he could be vulnerable. So he needed a couple other helpers just to be around. And through that, it got him the information he needed. And that's why I say if they would have accessed this this uh, helper before, be, after they knew he was out for three years, they should have been accessing the other help knowing that there was native connections and they would have been able to catch him sooner. But it, it just goes to show that if we eventually get to the right people, we will find that the goodness will always overcome and they cannot override the goodness when you uh, implement that in the correct way. So glad to hear you say that, Michael, because that's my belief, too. The light always wins. But what a journey here, because it looks like with Gene Leroy Hart and the medicine he was using, it really overpowered the community. It overpowered the legal system, the star prosecutor. I mean, people walked away from this, turning in their badges and shaking their heads. How could this happen? This was some powerful dark magic that he was involved with, would you say? Absolutely. And that's, that is why it is so key that anyone who has interest in this area, and I, I would just recommend to someone, ask the internal voice that would say, why? And if they can't, and if you can't come up with an, an answer to that, or even get an implication from the people who, who are inquiring that they want to learn about those things, then it's not to be done. And it really has to be handled in that, that rigid and that strict of a manner. Or it's, we're going to see more of these problems arise. And that's why I'm, I've been very cautious, um, had many inquiries over the years, and I, you just can't open that door. You just say, well, we'll, we'll uh, talk about it in a, in a few days or maybe in a few months, and you let things pass. And if 
nothing develops from it. I just say it, it really, we have to be so cautious. And this, I think, is the, the most perfect example or the model to say, here's, look what can happen. Yeah, we- this went so horribly, horribly wrong. I mean, sure. this, these poor little girls, their families, it's a scar that will never go away. And it's, a, again, an example, like you said, a perfect example of things gone wrong. And it does, it does say these energies are real. Absolutely. These dark forces that he was messing with and trying to get in, uh, to do what he wanted turned around and used him. And at the end, it cost him his life, which it should when somebody's on a dark path like that. Would, do you agree with that? Absolutely. And that's why I say when you do cross that line, when you start implementing and you put those things out there, there is no immunity. And those who cross the line have to pay the price. Wow. You know, something really uh, interesting, a little note to what, Michael, that you said a few minutes ago about using... uh, that kind of thing to muddle people's thinking or to confuse the ideas or create chaos. And uh, the Tulsa newspapers reported during the trial, you know, on which medicine men were present at the courthouse on what days. And I remember reading one account that there was a medicine man seen burning something at the four corners of the courthouse. And it was said that it was to confuse the jury. Or to influence the jury, sorry, influence the jury. Absolutely. Which goes to the idea that you were saying. And it works. And this is why people need to be very aware. And if they could have kept that individual at a further distance from the courthouse, they wouldn't have been able to infuse that element into that that case. Um, And I have in the past used tobacco for the right thing when I've been in court. And basically what you do is you project that when the right thing was done, but they say because you didn't have a permit or some other legal part of it, that when we project there is no case here. And it's just been recent, and I we actually had the district attorney get up and cross-examine um, uh, a Native man that I've known for 20 years. And he, the DA said at the end of his statement, there are no bad people in this courtroom. And I just said, that's because we had no case, and they should not have ever brought this man into court. But um, these, these are how we can use it for the good. And unfortunately, there are others who have used it for not so good, and they cross that line. Mm. And what about, Michael, the, the ancient one? Have you heard of that? I know, Renee, you wanted to ask that question. Yes, the ancient one is the element that is referred to to that sacred tobacco. And each nation has their own version or their own a particular variety of tobacco which is not used for anything other than ceremony. And the way Mad Bear explained, I asked Mad Bear, I said, why tobacco? After looking outside and seeing all the variety of plants, I said, why this particular tobacco? And he said, do you recall in history 
a time when the earth was purified and it was done with water. And he said, at the story or the legend that was handed down to the native people, he said, while they were doing cleanup, these little sprouts came up through the silt. And when it got seen and expressed amongst the people, the medicine people came down, they stopped the cleanup, they brought everyone to where those plants were, and they made it very clear. They said, because this is the first plant to return to the humans after the purification, then they said, this plant will be used to talk to the creator, to offer for plants for medicine, to give this communication that plant was the sacred one. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Wow. We're going to have to go to a, a break in a minute. But uh, again, this is a, a really helpful conversation to have with you. We're so grateful to have you on the show. If you have a question in our audience, please write it in the chat room or call in 888-919-2355. That's 888-919-2355. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Listening to IRN, the Inception Radio Network, Chicago, Illinois. Hi, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Just a reminder that Inception Radio Network is on Twitter. Follow us at I underscore R underscore N and keep up to date about who's on tonight, what interviews they'll be doing, who's guest spotting, what topics they'll be covering. Tweet to us, tweet about us, retweet topics to your friends, and most importantly, never miss a great show again. That's I underscore R underscore N. computer is your internet connection down don't worry use your trusty cell phone or landline and call into our listen line at 401-283-6700 to listen to the inception radio network 24 7 again that call-in number is 401-283-6700 for the inception radio network i am mj Inception Radio Network. Would you like your favorite show to be played again live on air? Well, now the choice is in your hands. With IRN's live request portal, an easy way to request your favorite show with a simple click. IRN's live request portal now gives you exclusive access to all the shows. How easy is it? Simply type a show name or a guest name, click request, even write a dedication message, and that's it. Try it now. Simply visit InceptionRadioNetwork.com, click on the Live Request tab under the Show menu. Now playing your favorite show is just a mouse click away. Are you a fan of Inception Radio Network? Do you reckon it's the best alternative talk radio station on the planet? Well, if you do, head to Facebook.com forward slash Inception Radio Network and like the page. Tell your friends, spread the word, and keep listening to the best. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? 
Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With cosmic fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and I am your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, numerologist PK, Renee Barnett, the host of Night Vision Radio, and a very talented TV and film producer, and as somewhat of an expert, although she won't admit to it, on the facts of this case. She's also a native of Oklahoma, and we are also here with... Michael Bastine, an Algonquin Native American medicine man who was apprenticed to Mad Bear Anderson. And now we're going to bring onto the show George Lugo. He is a world-renowned psychic medium. George has worked with people all over the world, many investigators, including Scotland Yard. George, welcome to the show. Thank you. Boy, what a case. Um... Yeah, I kept myself out of the listen. All I'm doing is listening to all of this. I haven't done any reading on this. I didn't, I want to have a nice clean slate to see what I pick up. Um, Michael, really great explaining all of that. You know, you did a great job. Um, Harvey, the guy that did the uh, the smoke. Yes. Um, I get this very organic feeling with this man, and um, and when he did that, that was a very brave thing, and how the smoke works and all of that, that was just amazing. Um, the one thing I heard in all of this, a couple of things, I heard a little girl say number eight. Ah. Mm. So, um, um, and I think it's the, um, the, 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 the number of a tent. The, or the dwelling that they were all in. I just heard somebody say eight, eight. They were and, in tent number eight, yeah. yeah. And I think they were affecting you, uh, PK, because you kept bringing up eight this and eight that and all this. And Got I think it. they were trying to get it through that that's real significant, that number mm-hmm. eight. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also got a little girl saying, um, my mother, uh, um, her health has gone down because of what happened. And this happened in '77. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I got this um, saying. She, I think she said Sherry, or yeah, I think it was Sherry. She mentioned Sherry, and she and she said Mom, Mom, and then she said Sherry, and then she said I'm okay, like I'm I'm all right. The feeling that I, that was 
that's what I got out of all of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much to be said. But as far as um, do any of you know the parents at all? I don't know them. I, I do know who they are. I'm trying to remember if uh, if it was any of the parents, it would have been Lori Farmer's mother, I think. Um, I think that- I got that right. She was saying Sherry. Because I was kind of asking her with myself, just like, who do you mean? Who do you mean? And I just heard, I think it was Sherry or Cherry, but I think it was Sherry. Um, that be, I'll look for that while we're talking here okay. and see if I yeah, can I track I that down. Yeah, so I just, I got that. Um, now, as far as the, uh, as far as, um, uh, what's this guy? Hart. Yeah. You know, I feel that. Patricia, you did a really great description of him th- through the numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. Low self-esteem, you know, fatherless family, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And very strong. Um, I I feel that he was a fairly good-looking guy, too, and well-trusted. Um, but dabbled into spiritual things and used, I believe, what I think Michael was talking about, those medicine man or someone mm-hmm. that taught him some stuff. But he had like a side, like the medicine man, I don't feel was um, um, cautious enough. Well, Michael was complex. Not Michael. Is his name Michael? No, his name is uh, Gene. uh, Gene. Gene. Gene Gene is a complex person. And um, even though he may not have come across as the sharpest blade in the pile, he was actually very kind of like second thought, like everything had a double meaning to it, and he Mm kind of chose what he, I felt that he was cloaked, and to be able to walk around the community freely like that, Mm -hmm. I feel that, you know, he had help, but I feel it was a darker force with him, Mm -hmm. and could recognize the cracks in his personality, and do a sort of, um, I don't want to say possession exactly, but a touching of him to make him think this way, to make him do these things, uh, and then he could pull out of it. But I feel that this darker force kind of cloaked him so he could walk freely amongst people. Um, I also feel that there was a younger um, medicine man that taught him some things, right? Was he in his 40s or so? Uh, You know, I'm not sure. Now, the medicine man that he was uh, captured at at the medicine man's cabin, he was an old man. He was an old man. But okay. there could have been others, you know. Yeah, and- I feel that he learned something from the old man, but there's a, somebody who seems to be like in their mid-40s that he was associated with that that uh, showed Gene how to do a lot of things, but mostly for good. But Gene being pulled and taunted by this darker side of himself turned it into the things that he did. And now the, the medicine man that the agents used, he was around 40. He was in his 40s at the time. And he, of course, he was uh, obviously working for the good. And by the way, uh, Lori Farmer's mother's name is Sherry. Uh, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's good mm-hmm. to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's right. Did she say anything else or is there a message or anything? Oh, that 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 she's around her mother. That she actually the other girls are doing fine. That they're all there. They're all in the light. They're all fine. They're innocent. So innocent, and mm-hmm. uh, they just make me feel like, uh, um, 
Yeah, their uh, families have suffered so much. Their families yeah. have suffered, still are suffering. It's yeah. more yes. of a coping than anything else. Yeah. That, they were uh, babies. They were babies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were just little babies. And, um, yeah, they just made me feel like they're still attached to their families. And for them not to worry that they're all in the light they made it, you know, that there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They just went into that world. They are kind of making me feel what they went through. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, but, uh, oh, um, goodness. Yeah. It's um, pretty horrible. But the uh, this guy, Gene, I just feel like, you know, Patricia, you're right on with the numbers, man. That was like so close. That's the feelings that I was getting about this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that people that it, he was able to kind of like fool people. He had this cloaking thing about himself. And that's why he. I, I keep getting this feeling. I also yeah. feel that he's still dangerous. Wow. I still, I still feel that he can cross, cross here. I know that he's being. Um, I don't know, like like uh, contained in a sense, but he is able to move freely, but can't really do anything, like uh, you know, to anyone. But can do what was done to him, as far as like finding somebody with low self-esteem. Right getting into mm-hmm. them, influencing them. So I feel that he still kind of has that. Um, I feel like he's walking the earth in his town. And it's interesting, you mentioned a cave. I felt that that was one of the places that he was staying in, uh, located in a cave. Um, yeah. And then just a lot of, uh, he makes me feel himself personally. And yeah, real tortured person. Spent a lot of time alone. Uh, spent a lot of time with, um, God, I feel like... Uh, Wanting to use a knife, I don't know if he did use knives, but wanting to, and but but didn't didn't do it. The guy had some skill, definitely definitely has some skills, but as far as the spiritual world, yeah, it was very distorted. I get a lot of um, static with it, and him mm-hmm. trying to figure it out, and him having to deal with it, and like adrenaline rush. The human part of him is the adrenaline rush of doing these things. And then the other part of him, he was very sad inside, I feel, um, and in some ways remorseful, but then pull away from that as soon as he found another target, whatever that is, you know, breaking into a place or killing someone or that type of thing. I just felt that he was uh, pretty, um, but all put together in a fairly good package. You know what I mean? So he could, yes, could yeah. and so he could fool people. He was really good at that. Um and I get this. I get somebody saying, "Yeah, he can never go back," and I don't know what they mean by that. But like, he can never go back. So uh, maybe, maybe have another earthly round or something. I'm not sure exactly, but I just feel like that. Um, we don't want some, him back. God no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't want him back. He can stay but, right where he is. I think they are trying to tell me that he has maybe tried to come back, but he can't. So he's no. trying to influence someone like him and it might even be in the same town so you know if something else like this occurs again i feel that he may have some kind of influence in it i mean i'm not exactly sure that's kind of what it feels like to me um and then also the knowing you know he knows a lot and i get the feeling of the overpowering of someone and and having that person's life in your hands and fully controlling it and taking it when they want. And I just get that. It's like a, I get this kind of adrenaline rush with this. And, and I just feel like that was kind of what he was doing. 
with these little girls. Um, also, prison life for him was not good. Uh, he was on guard and uh, all the time because of what he, his crimes. Yeah. And he had to look over his shoulder. And I also feel that he practiced some of the things that he knew there also. Maybe quietly or behind the scenes, but, you know, because he needed protection while he was there. They, they still got him. They still took him out. You know what I mean? He died, he died yeah. of a heart attack. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I and they, they did an autopsy, and they there was no explanation. He was a perfect physical specimen. He was mm-hmm. an athlete. He was 26 years old. Yeah, and I just feel like, uh, but I also feel that in prison he was like developed, like he was really strong. So he yes. must have been like yeah. working out or something like this. Yes. I feel his adrenaline, but I he also was. feel that they. It was time for him to go. The forces that are out there, you know, good overtakes everything just about. But but things slipped through the cracks, and he was one of them. And uh, But it finally caught up with him, and it, did, it took him. Go ahead. Did, I'm sorry. I was going to say, George, did you find that because he was such a terrible rule breaker and he lived in his head most of the time, yeah. people thought his quiet side was condoning things that were going on so he was Mr. Nice Guy when instead he was really brewing something in the head to take out somebody else in another way because of this restriction, this four square, his angers at things not being given to him the way he thought they should be. Yeah, I felt that everything out of his mouth was kind of like a double speak. It's like a forked tongue. Is right. It has a double meaning. And so oh, he yeah. was sort of cautious, cautious mm-hmm. about everything he did, the way he walked, the way he presented himself. Uh, you know, uh, seem like a normal average person, you know, kind of doing that, but kind of like a, almost like, an, like you said, athletic, you know, he was sort of kind of outgoing that way, but kind of quiet and just he, very he had dark. An, he had an arrogance about him mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, probably belied that inadequacy thing, PK. Yeah. Right. Usually I've, when people have that kind of an arrogance, it's usually covering up the opposite. Oh, yeah. They carry that John Wade walk when they have nothing there to make back it up with. Yeah, I felt guy had no entitlement at all. You're right. Yeah, like it had yeah, an absolutely. entitlement. And, yep. um, but it was fragile. And, mm-hmm. and the people that knew him well, he would stay away from. And, ah, so, yeah. and so he would just constantly kind of on the prowl, kind of scoping things out, you know, just always kind of doing that. And in, 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 very tormented in his head um, and in his soul. But a lot of things that Michael said was right on the money, too. I mean, it was just really good stuff that he was talking about, you know, medicine and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he abused yeah, him totally. Yeah, you know, he's gone now. The girls are fine. The girls are perfect. There's nothing wrong with them at all. I, I get nothing. All I got was my mother is suffering or has been suffering. They all have. and But but oh, yeah. I just kept hearing mom, mom, mom. And then I heard mm-hmm. eight, like tent eight or number eight. Right. And it seemed like a dwelling of some sort. And then I just heard, and I was asking her, who are you talking about? You know, and she said, Sherry. So, so it was Sherry. Wow. It was yeah. Sherry. Okay, yes. and uh, to let her know that she's okay. Is Sherry still around? Yes, I don't she feel, is. Okay, because I don't feel her. Yeah, you know, I only get people that have crossed, and um, yeah, and then, she's still around. Um, her parents uh, are probably might be around, you know, in their sixties. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not that old. Her father is still a practicing physician in Tulsa. 
And uh, her mother started a uh, the Oklahoma chapter of Parents of Murdered Children, you know, 20, no wonder this girl ago. is stepping up because right. the the feeling is like she's you know very proud of her family, um, and this actually in a bad way turned out to be a good thing because her mother's doing this now. You know what I mean? So out, out of all this horror, something good positive came out of it. But yeah. it took a toll on her, and she makes me feel like her mom working with this organization is sort of like therapy for her too, mm-hmm. in a sense, um, to oh, kind I'm of. Sure go through other parents and what they've gone through and this kind of thing. Uh, there is a, uh, was there a, oh, you probably don't know, but I feel like there was like trees planted for these girls or some sort of memorial for these girls. Uh, um, did you say Lori was her name? Yeah. Yeah, was there a, I, I, you probably don't know this, but I feel like there was a some kind of a monument erected, maybe with their names on it, or a children's park. She makes me feel like there's like a park or um, a wall with murdered children on it, and mm. then like a playground right next to it, like, like things that kids can climb on and all that. Feels kind of like this. I don't know if that exists or not, but this is kind of what she's showing me. Yeah, uh, I don't uh, know. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. But she makes me feel like this, what her mother's doing, is also a, a very good thing for other parents. Even though it's a sad thing, it's a way to cope and deal and heal. So, um, yeah, that's what that's what I'm getting out of all of this. But, boy. George, George let me just ask you a sure. question, too, because Lori comes across to me anyways as the eternal optimist, but much more contemplative about this event than Michelle or Denise. Do you pick up something similar about her? I mean, she seems still kind of mulling this over and trying to go deeper with it about an understanding. Uh, this is Denise? This is the other child? No, this is Lori. Oh, Lori. Oh, Lori's, to me, Lori came across as being very bright, um, a doer, you know? Yes. like. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like she, you know, souls cannot change your life path. They cannot mess around with your journey, but they can nudge. And I feel like her light with her mother is very, very special. Mm-hmm. And and so she's able to help her mother or bring things to her mother. And her mother has to be sensitive enough to recognize it and go with it. But her mother has a lot of tenacity. She says her mother has a lot of tenacity. And, and um, a lot of things have fallen into place. And a lot of help has come to her, but she's got the 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 oomph to kind of get it done. And um, she makes me feel like her mom's gone through a lot of red tape and um, to get things done, but has done it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a memorial park, you know, some sort of like a little section of a main park, that, that like a children's memorial park or something, something like that. It might be in the works or it's already done, but I also I feel like a planting. Yeah. yeah, I also feel like a planting, like planting of trees and bushes dedicated to kids or one to her for sure. But I also get flowers and this type of thing when I get people like benches or people can sit and, you know, right. have a conversation with their children and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Yeah. And then um, um, now is has Jean's mother crossed over? Yes. Okay, because I get three women, and I feel that this is probably his. They seem to be elders, um, and I don't know. There's something about you know talking to him about all this, and he's gone through a lot. He has he has to feel and continuously feel the pain 
that he's created um, here back here with the the parents and this and the family members that basically hate him, you know. And 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 I know that there's some forgiveness involved here, and he's all about trying to correct all that. But he just makes me feel that he just had a really rough time of it. He tried to make sense out of it. All. Gene tried to make sense out of everything, but it was just once after his first kill and all that, it was just like it was overpowering. And then whatever this dark force was just kind of had him. You know, he wasn't like it wasn't like a full possession. It was just like this nudging, this this partial thing that would get into him. And, you know, he could feel himself kind of surging inside and then pick, select his target. He also makes me feel that he was relaxed at times and things would show up almost like light up for him. And then he'd go, oh, that's the next one right there. Or he'd get methodical about who he was going to do next. So, but so, you know, but it's over. I mean, that whole thing is over and he is where he is. Um, I know this is going to sound really crazy. I don't feel like he's like burning in hell or anything like that. He's just in the further, he's just in this other world. Um, trying to make a difference. I really kind of feel that he's trying to correct his wrongs, but that, urge is still pretty strong in him and he's kind of in a different place than most souls that i see souls go to this place that he's in is is like in a place where he's sort of stuck um not limbo but just kind of like has to feel these things that these people that are left behind with all this pain he has to feel it constantly and i know he's trying to change to turn things around and change things but it's a long haul for him i don't know it just feels like that I also feel that people in that town, you know, remember what happened. And there are mm -hmm. some people that during that period of time feel almost him like walking by, like they almost see him on the street still. So mm. there's a strong energy there, a strong, strong thing there. Anyway, well, that's what I got. Again, you know, George, this is really good information. And I think what people need to understand about these dark entities is that they can be very seductive. And, oh, absolutely. You know, they can they can tell you, well, do this. I mean, they don't come out and say do this, but it's that nudging you talk about, the pushing people in a certain direction to act in a certain way with promises of power or superiority or whatever the heck it is they're into. Right. And that's how they, uh, they continue along this relationship path with people like Gene uh, Leroy Hart. And they, they hook them in, and like you said, it wasn't a full possession. I believe you're absolutely right about that. This was more of a partnership, but that entity definitely had the upper hand. So it's, a, again, a good example of not getting involved in these, these types of energies. It's something to stay long way away from. And yeah, those darker, forces are, those darker forces are always looking for a crack. Uh, for for like a weakness in you. Yes, you know? that's exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. And yeah, that's absolutely right. And oh my goodness, is there anything else that you pick up on the overall issue of this entity and how it was using Gene and how it overpowered the system? I mean, this is a very powerful entity. Yeah, well, I think that Michael was saying about clouding and sort of like cloaking things and all of that. Yeah, it was absolutely accurate. I really felt that. I feel like this he was able to travel in the area that he lived in or wherever this was with the cave was and his town and all that. And um, there's this kind of a, a haze almost that that uh, anyone who knew him or suspected him 
they were kind of fearful and not say anything. I also feel like there was somebody else involved that had, um, oh man, some type of medicine where where they could, um, I don't know. I just feel like somebody is crying, but almost like a medicine man that is crying because they had something to do with his learning and maybe doing it prematurely or something of that. And he wasn't ready, even though he seemed to be ready. I feel that he could win you over. I feel that Gene can win you over pretty easily. You know, he seemed like a all right guy and whoever took him on to teach him, I feel is sort of sad because of, you know, didn't, it was too premature and didn't see it, you know, yeah. or Gene was able to snow him or the oh, medicine he, man. He's, yeah. knowed, he's knowed everybody in, in, in Patricia, you, remarked on you know i think there was like a thousand or more people at his funeral it was he was very supported people were raising money to for his defense it was crazy it, yeah it, it was sickening like, well yeah it was crazy the the hard part is when you take a look at somebody like him he, he's he's like a pancake he's got the two sides to him depends on what side he's trying to show people this man was extremely intelligent but he knew how to manipulate people. He would live in his head to watch what others did, and he would turn around and use it against them. This, A lot of this came across, uh, thank you for giving me, Renee, his mother's birthday, because his mother had major issues with men in her lifetime, and oh. she had many things to say which actually tormented him throughout his life. And the ironic part is she died in her four year, which dealt with some major health issues that she was never able to release because of him. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Oh my gosh. Oh goodness. (laughs) I I mean, this is a wonderful discussion to have on a very difficult, difficult subject. And George, we heard the emotion in your voice as you contacted uh, Lori and Michelle and Denise. And and again, I can't thank you enough. I know how hard that is when you're talking to people on the side who had a a very traumatic uh, passing such as this. And it's not easy. I know. Yeah, it can be kind of difficult at times. I feel a lot of it, you know, Mm. I just... uh, so yeah these are hard ones i bet yeah yeah it's it's very difficult and i just want to keep honoring their memory over this absolutely because they are the light they are the innocent uh little girls in this that we always have to remember the light always wins and as you mentioned they are in the light and lori specifically is still with her mother and helping her mother on her journey even now and and that's that's a very a beautiful thing to know but the rest of this my goodness uh i can't thank all of you enough renee michael george pk for all of your insight and all of the deeper messages of this. This is the battle, the light and the darkness. How conscious do you want to be? And can you be? And can you live your life with an open heart? Can you walk the path with a heart? As we all are able to contact more and more of these energies, we need to ask ourselves that question. Can we walk the path with a heart? Thank you, everybody, for this evening's discussion on the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Thank you for joining us. And we will be back next week. In the meantime, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night.
It's laundry day. And even though you know there are no zombies in your basement, because you're an adult and zombies are not real, you still can't bring yourself to turn the light off before you go up the stairs due to the creepy hand that will not grab your ankle because, again, zombies are not real. Plus, you have an Amazon Echo. So you wait till you get safely to the top of the stairs and say, Alexa, turn off the basement light. And the basement light goes off, and you continue upstairs alive. Alexa, lock the door. Okay. Thank you.